Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio broadcast. We're going to be in John chapter 4 in this session, and we're going to be looking at the woman at the well. What a tremendous story that John has left us concerning a woman that was without hope, but she found great hope in Christ. Amen. And that's that's a witness and a testimony uh, for us as well. Amen. Or about us as well. We were without hope until Jesus uh, came into our life. Praise God. Amen. But before we begin, let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, we bless you in the name of Jesus. We praise you. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for the testimony that you left to us in your word. Oh, how we love thy word, Lord. It is our meditation all the day. Speak to us now through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we'll give you the praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right, now we're leaving the witness of Nicodemus, and also we're leaving the witness of John the Baptist concerning uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Praise God. And we're going to follow Jesus now on his journey. He is leaving Judea, and uh, he is traveling towards Galilee once again. Now, Galilee is the center of his operations right now. You know, we have already witnessed uh, that. And uh, but he has to go through and he didn't have to do this. Now, he's going to go through and travel through Samaria. Now, most uh, Jews, uh, when they left Judea, they would take a circuitous route around uh, Samaria because they did not want to go through Samaria because um, there's um, uh, the Samaritans to, to the Jew. They were cursed and they were infidels and they looked upon the Samaritans like they would the Gentiles. So they avoided them at all costs, but not Jesus. Amen. Not Jesus. Praise God. So we'll begin in John chapter four, and we'll see this as we go along. Now, uh, let me go ahead and, and let's just give a short history lesson concerning uh, Samaria. Now, it was uh, an occupied country. Uh, it formerly belonged to the tribe of Ephraim and of the half tribe of Manasseh. But when the Assyrians came and invaded, they destroyed these uh, these tribes and uh, they took the uh, those that were the Jews that were left and they transported them to Assyria. But in their place, they brought in uh, foreigners and they made foreigners live in that uh, area, which we call Samaria uh, today, uh, the northern part of the kingdom of Israel. And as a result, uh, these foreigners, they began not just to worship their, their idols that they brought into the country, but they also began to worship uh, the uh, the Jehovah God, and they had a Levite priest teach them how to do that. So uh, this was a corruption of the word and of the will of God. Amen. And so that's why. And of course, you know, we can you know go to the uh, the books of Nehemiah and Ezra, especially Nehemiah. And uh, and we can look at and consider uh, the the uh, the Jewish what the Jewish feeling was towards the Samaritans. So there was a real hatred between the two peoples. And that's partly the reason why the Jews avoided having to go through Samaria. Now, the only time that the Jews and the Samaritans uh, had any kind of contact with one another was for business only. It wasn't for uh, anything else. No associations other than business dealings. 
And so that's the atmosphere that we're looking at as we go into John chapter four, beginning in verse one. Notice uh, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. See, this is Jesus being very wise in dealing with the, those groups, those powerful groups of Jews that he knew were opposing him. But notice he says in verse four, but he must, it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. Notice that it was needful for him to go through Samaria. Now, that's very important. And the reason why it's important is because this term must needs. It comes from the Greek word deo. And actually, the translate the definition of this word deo means to bind or to fasten with chains or to be placed under an obligation. And of course, that obligation was to be that savior and that Messiah to seek and to save that which is lost. And see, the will of God was more important than what the Jews felt concerning the Samaritans. See the barrier there. Hatred always creates a barrier. You know, if we have a group of people that we hate, we're never going to reach them with the gospel. But see, Jesus was beyond that. Now, Jesus could have avoided going through Samaria if it weren't for an obligation. He had an obligation. He's coming to save the world. Amen. Praise God. And so he wanted to reach the Samaritans, but he knew beforehand there would be a woman at the well, and he knew he had a plan, that God plan, that that woman would be an instrument in leading that entire area uh, to him uh, for salvation. Praise God. So Jesus had an obligation, and that's our obligation. Jesus' obligation is our obligation also. And this obligation was twofold. Number one, he's going to preach the kingdom of God. He's going to present himself to this woman at the well, praise God. And also that obligation was to answer the will and to obey the Father's will. We have to answer the Father's will and we have to obey the Father's will. And the Father's will is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We need to begin in our own home. We need to begin with our children, praise God. We need to craft a testimony that we can give to a sinner in five minutes. Those who want to know of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And there are many out there. They're searching. That's why they're into the things that they're into. They're trying to find an answer to their life. Praise God. Well, Jesus is the answer. And what greater testimony can we have than the testimony of what Jesus did for us? Praise God. Amen. And he must needs go through Samaria. He had an obligation. It was the obligation placed upon him by the father. You and I need to go into Samaria because we have an obligation. And that's the obligation the father has placed upon us through Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. Then come, <laughs> excuse me. 
Then came he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. That's how you pronounce this this town, this village. Praise God. Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, being wearied with his journey. Now, this speaks of the humanity of Christ. Jesus tired just like you and I tired. Amen. He had a physical body. This is very important for us to know. Because at the time that this gospel was written, there was a Gnostic heresy in the church seeking to creep into the church that was teaching people that Jesus did not have a physical body. But yet he did, praise God. And John proves this. Being worried with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, this would be noon. This is Roman time, praise God. Now, Roman time was a 24-hour cycle. It was broken up into two halves. And this is what Roman time and Jewish time have together, broken up in two halves of 12-hour cycles. But now the Jewish time began at sunrise. Amen. Roman time began at midnight, went from midnight to noon and then from noon to midnight. Amen. So the sixth hour here would be the sixth hour beginning of the second cycle. So this would be 6 p.m. in the evening. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat on the well and it was about 6 p.m. Amen. Praise God. We can't get that confused. If we don't understand Roman time, then we will get confused. But notice that it says that Jesus was wearied. Now, Sychar was about 40 miles from Jerusalem. And that's where Jesus was in Judea. So that's a long journey. How would you like to walk for 40 miles all day? Well, that was a pretty long journey, wasn't it? And so what this tells us is that, number one, Jesus, he's possessed of a fully human body, fully human nature. He was born with a fully human body. Also, the scripture tells us that he tired, that he hungered, that he felt sorrow, that he felt pain and anguish. It also tells us that he physically died on the cross. The cross was not an illusion. He physically died on the cross and he was physically raised from the dead. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Now, verse seven. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me to drink. Now, this is interesting. Because when she came to draw water, there was no one else there. Jesus and the woman at the well were the only two there. So that what tells me is that as we go along here and we find the kind of life that this woman lived, amen, that she was rejected by her village. In other words, the women wouldn't have anything to do with her. Oh, the men would for sure, but not the women. And so she went at a time after the women of the village had drawn water. And of course, 6 p.m. would have been the right time for uh women to come out and draw the water. All right, once again, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me to drink. Now, that is a polite request. A.T. Robertson tells us that it's the second aorist active imperative of the word didomi, and uh, it is a polite request. 
Now that's A.T. Robertson. Now he is the, was at one time the foremost Greek scholar in the United States. So I trust his, his uh, explanation here. And verse 8 says, For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat or buy food. Then said the woman of Samaria to him, How is it that you, notice this, pointing the finger at Jesus, that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For you, the Jews, you don't have any dealings with us. Don't have any dealings with the Samaritans. Talking about on a friendly level. What she was saying is that, you know, we have no friendly relations with Jews. You know, no intermarriage, no socializing. The Samaritans, they only traded with the Jews for economic reasons. And isn't it interesting that Sychar today is the Palestinian village of Nablus. It's within the Palestinian ter territory. And even today, Jews are not allowed to enter into Nablus. They're not allowed to enter in. They're not allowed to stay. Isn't that something how a spirit will stand over a city? We're talking about now 2,000 years. And even today, Jews are not allowed to enter into that city. That tells us something about the spirit world, doesn't it? And then verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, he's talking about himself, and who it is that says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. This is the way the Living Bible says. Translate this verse. And he replied, If you only knew what a wonderful gift God has for you, and who I am, you would ask me for some living water. Now, what's different between what Jesus is communicating with the woman at the well than what, how he communicated to Nicodemus? There's really no difference. Jesus approached Nicodemus differently than he approached the woman at the well, but it was the same message. So what that tells us is that you always preach the same message, but you may deliver it differently from one people group to the other. That's very important. Because after all, what is our mission? It is to persuade men concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So Jesus is saying, I have a tremendous gift for you. And if you knew who I was, you would stop and you would ask for me to give to you living water instead of you, instead of me asking you to give me some of that water that comes from Jacob's well. I've got a greater gift for you. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. And the woman said to him, verse 11, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. And so where are you going to get this living water? I'm, this is the John Dunning Loose translation. And then she says this. This is, this is accusatory. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? See, this woman is not thinking, just like Nicodemus, this woman is not thinking on a supernatural plane. Her eyes are not open. Just like Nicodemus' eyes were not open. She's thinking purely on human terms. And she's thinking of literal water. 
Well, she's blinded by the God of this world concerning her need for the living water. But Jesus is getting ready to change all that. So just like Nicodemus, she doesn't understand. Verse 13, And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. Think about that. Never thirst again for eternal life, for the things that God wants to give. You think about living in a desert, being a day, two days, three days in the desert without water. You're just about perished. Somebody brings to you water. You're going to drink. See, when we discover our total and complete need of Jesus as Savior and our desire to seek for what he has to give to us. Amen. We're going to drink and we are going to drink until we are full. Notice this again. And Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he'll never thirst. But the water that I will give him will be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That's what you and I as born again believers have. We have this flowing water. Well of water that springs up into eternal life. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. So the needs provided for us by the material world, they've got to be replenished daily. I mean, I drank water yesterday, but that same water, I've got to drink it today if I want to maintain my health. But notice the living water. We drink, and that, that drink is for all of eternity. Praise God. It's the living water. So what do you think? Or let me say it this way. What do we think is more important? The water that will perish or the living water that will last forever? Praise God. And so verse 15, the woman says to Jesus, Give me this water that I will not thirst and neither come hither to draw. She's still thinking on natural terms, natural plane. She doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about, like so many of us. I tell you, you can preach the gospel and people just won't see it. It takes the Holy Spirit confirming the word with signs following to open up the eyes of people and to deposit in them that which they need to be drawn to Christ. Praise God. But now before Jesus reveals to her of the living water, he says this. Now, this is, see, before a person can get revelation, they first have to have a confrontation. Remember what Jesus said concerning the Holy Spirit? And when he has come, he will do what? He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Amen. At the cross, the prince of this world was judged. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. And so Jesus confronts this woman. Jesus says to her, verse 16, Go, call your husband and come hither. Wow. Now Jesus came to this well 
to speak to this woman so this woman can know what it is to have living water. But in order for her to drink, she's got to repent. Before anybody can be saved, they've got to repent of sin. People who come to receive Christ without first repenting of sin will leave without coming to Christ what they want. Amen. You, you and I, we've got to be willing to leave, to repent, which means to turn, to change one's mind, to repent of our life, and to come to Christ to receive new life. Amen. And even after we're born again believers, and even after we're part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul tells us that we put off the old man, which is corrupt according to its deeds. And we put on the new man, which after Christ is created in righteousness and true holiness. Amen. That's the life we put on. Amen. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have said, well, you have no husband. For you have had five husbands and he whom you now have is not your husband. And that you said truly. Jesus identified her life as it is right then. Many people in the world are living this same kind of lifestyle. Well, and if they want to receive Jesus, they're going to have to repent. See, Jesus confronted this woman concerning her sinful life. And he did that to get this woman to begin to think on spiritual terms. See, the gospel preached causes men, as God opens up their eyes, causes men to begin to think on spiritual terms and not purely on natural terms. Amen. And so Jesus spoke to her spiritual condition. Amen. See, here she was drawing water because none of the women of Sychar had anything to do with her. But Jesus came to her in her hour of need, in her hour of desperation, in her hour of sadness. There was something in this woman that was quietly crying out for help. And Jesus there. It's like Smith Wigglesworth said, there's something about faith that causes God to jump over a million individuals to get to that person who is crying out. Praise God. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now, notice this. Notice what she goes into. Now, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Notice this. Notice what the woman is trying to do. She's talking to Jesus from a place of security, which is really not a place of security at all. Amen. She has not abandoned everything. She's still trying to hang on like so many of us. Oh, I would come to Jesus, but if I could just hang on to this, if I could just hang on to that. No, Jesus is calling us to abandon our life, take up the cross and follow him. And then Jesus says this remarkable words. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. It's now present. When you will neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the father. 
Jesus is not talking to this woman about religion. How many people have you witnessed to and they want to bring up the fact that they are a religious person? Oh, I was baptized as a child. Oh, yeah, I'm a member of such and such church. Oh, I, I pray all the time. Oh, I read my Bible. None of this. None of this evidence is worthy or grants to us eternal life. So Jesus is taking, she is not, he is knocking all the hope out of this woman. Every bit of it. See, that's why it's so important for us to preach the gospel. We have to preach the gospel to the sinners and remove any hope that they might have that they're good enough to get to heaven. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. And then he goes on in verse 22. He says, you worship what you don't know. We know what we worship. Why? Because we have the word of God. We have the revelation of God given through Moses. For salvation is of the Jews. We could say it today. Salvation is of those who repent and who have faith in the Lord Jesus. And then he says this in verse 23. He says, but the hour is coming. And it now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus was talking about the time after his resurrection when he breathed upon the disciples. Amen. When he breathed upon them and said, receive you the Holy Spirit. They were born again in that upper room the night that Jesus was raised from the dead. Praise God. Amen. And God has been granting new birth into thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people from that time until now. Praise God. But the hour is coming and now is. Amen. Jesus is just a short while away from going to Jerusalem, being offered up upon the cross and being raised from the dead three days later. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Think about the 120 in the upper room. Oh, I tell you what. That was worship of the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Praise God. So what the Lord Jesus does in this dialogue he's having with the woman, he sets forth three types of people in the world. Those who don't worship, either at Gerizim, where the Samaritans worshipped, or at Jerusalem, where the Jews worship. Those who worship in vain, that's merely a religious form, a liturgical worship without the Spirit. God has nothing to do with that. Or the true worshipers. Those who worship God in spirit and in truth. You can only be born again. In order to worship God in spirit and truth, you've got to be born again. So in all three types of this worship, it requires a changed heart. Amen. A repented heart, a humble heart, a heart that makes confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And it's only then that a man can be truly a true worshiper of Christ. Amen. I tell you, I like the term must. This is the sixth time that Jesus has used the word must. In 3.7, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Amen. In John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus, the son of man, must be lifted up. 
John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. John 4, 4, he must needs go through Samaria. And then here in John chapter 4 and verse 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so the woman says to this, I know the Messiah who is called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. See, she's looking. She's looking ahead. Jesus declared, I who speak to you, I am the one. I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him, Jesus, talking to this woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the Samaritan woman leaving her water jar right there. That's the whole reason she came to the well was to get water. She leaves the water. It's not important to her anymore. The woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ, the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Praise God. God, Jesus Christ, spoke to the woman at the well. She, in turn, went and testified to the whole town. Isn't that what happened when you got born again? You wanted everybody to know. Praise God. We're going to have to stay, stop right here because we've run out of time. But isn't that true? Your testimony can affect hundreds of people. The determination between they die and go to hell or they get born again and go to heaven when they die. Praise God. Father, we bless you today in the name of Jesus. Make the word real to us today in our hearts and we'll give you praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.